Good morning, everyone. It's, uh, it's great to be here. September, start of a new term. Uh, very, very exciting. Lots, lots ahead in this year. And I guess right at the outset, I want to start with a really obvious observation. In Northern Ireland, we're a pretty great bunch of people, aren't we? We're, we're like, no offense, Paul, but we're probably the best nation in the UK, right? Let's just get that as the starting tone for the year. But, but here's the thing. I think in Northern Ireland, we have one ability that we possess more of than any other country in the UK and perhaps any other country in the world. And that is the ability to recognize talent in everyone else. So we're pretty good at that, right? So I'll give you an example. You, you go to a friend's house for dinner and they've thrown in a few chicken Kievs into the oven and they've microwaved up a few carrots and they've maybe put a few peas into a pot and they serve it up. And instantly, because of our Northern Irishness, we're like, wow, you're an amazing cook. This is so good. This is so, I've never tasted a chicken Kiev as good as this in my life. And, and then even whenever we leave, we're like, Thanks so much for dinner. That was incredible tonight. And then let's replay. About three weeks later, you invite the same friends around because in Northern Ireland, you're forever indebted to someone who feeds you. And you've slaved away all day. You've made a beef wellington that Gordon Ramsay would be proud of. You've sauteed your potatoes. You've cooked them up in goose fat. You've, you've done a little medley of seasonal vegetables and you serve it up. That's what I do anyway. You serve it up on... <laughs> not. You serve it up on the, the, dinner, the dinner table and your friend goes, wow, that's amazing. You're a really good cook. And instantly our Northern Irishness kicks in and you go, oh, this, this thing? I'll oh, just throw it together. Um, just throw it together. No, it's nothing. And, and we're brilliant at recognizing other people's ability, but we're pretty terrible when it comes to recognizing our own. And I think that's something that we kind of mask it as humility. We call it humility. We go, well, actually, I don't want to take any praise for that because that would be me being proud. And, and yeah, actually, what we, we call humility is actually really negativity. And I don't think that that's something that Jesus calls us to have. I want us to explore uh, one of my favorite passages in Scripture this morning. It's the parable of the talents. If you have a Bible with you that you can either par on and put a passcode into or open on a page, um, it's in Matthew 25. And I want us to spend a little bit of time looking at this parable because I think for me this tees up a massive thing of what's been on my heart and as well, I guess, is a huge part of and Stand By Me what we try and do as an organization. Matthew 25, starting at verse 14. Jesus is talking about the kingdom. He says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who'd received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who'd received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who'd received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. And his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. 
The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrust me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who'd received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. So I was afraid. I went out and I hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. And his master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered seed. Well, then you should have put the money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever doesn't have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's an incredible story that that highlights to us that God has created us with a capacity to do good. And so whenever we mask that good with this kind of false humility or, or negativity, we're actually hiding from what God has called us to. God has entrusted us with gifts, with talents, with resource, with time, with energy to go and create good in the world. And in this story, as as Jesus unpacks a little bit about the kingdom, he unpacks something for us about what it means to be truly human and what it means to be truly connected with the divine all at the same time. The one thing that, that I struggle with in this passage is that it talks about how he gave out the resource each according to their own ability. I hate that. (laughs) I like to think that everyone's the same. I like to think that all men are created equal, all people are created equal, that we all have the same potential, that we all have the same capacity. And yet what we're told is that God knows each and every single one of us. And he entrusts some of us with a little bit more responsibility or a little bit more energy or a little bit more resource. And he entrusts some of us with less. But you know what? Here's the amazing thing. He doesn't draw comparisons. The only comparison that the master makes in this is whether the servant is living their life to their fullest capacity. And so the first servant, he turns up and he shows the master what he's got. You've given me five, I've given you five more. And he gets this response, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. And then the second servant turns up, and if he was Northern Irish, he'd have turned up and gone, um, well, uh, he's got five, but I've only got two. So. But he doesn't. He turns up and he goes, Master, you've given me this, and look, I've doubled it. I've turned it into this. And what I love, and it's no surprise to me that the words are exactly the same. I love that the statement, word for word, is exactly the same. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The master, the father, doesn't compare us with each other. Our Northern Irishness does that all the time. And that's not a thing of Jesus. This is an incredibly liberating and incredibly empowering story that Jesus tells, because actually it tells us to take our eyes off each other, to not look at other people and go, oh, wow, they're so good at that. I wish I was like them. But it's actually about realizing what has God entrusted me with? 
What is it, what is the good that God wants me to create in the space and the time in the world that I live in? That's an incredible, incredible thing. And so for us, as we step into a new term, as we step into a new year, as we seek to live out this life and life to the full that Jesus promises us, so much of it is about us coming to the Father and going, Father, what have you given me? Um, what can I do with it? How can I go? How can I create good in the world? And the contrast is, is the third servant. The third servant has this completely misshapen view, not just of the master, but also of, of what he's been entrusted with, the resource. And so he turns up to the master and he says, Master, you're a, you're a hard man. <laughs> I've heard bad things about you. I'm not so sure that I wanted to do anything. So here I've taken it and I've, and I've buried it in the ground. I've taken it, I've literally dug a hole and I've put it away. And you know what? It's safe. And you know what? I love that the master doesn't love safe. I love that the master loves a bit of risk. I love that the master loves a bit of entrepreneurship. I love that the master loves to see someone go and create and expand and grow what the master has entrusted him with. It's not about taking what we've got and burying it away. It's about taking it and using it to generate good. That is an absolutely phenomenal thing. But the response is interesting because the master uses, uses a word that for me, it, it almost kind of surprises me every time I read the story. Because he uses the word wicked about the servant. Wicked. Like, he just, he was lazy. He didn't do much. He wasn't that industrious or that ambitious. But I'm not sure that I would call him wicked. And yet, the father, the master calls him wicked. And as I read that, I go, wow, well, if he'd taken the money and he'd paid an assassin to go and take someone out, that would have been wicked. Or if he'd taken the, the master's resource and he'd gone and solicited a local prostitute, that'd be pretty wicked. Or if he'd gone and done something deliberately really vicious against someone else with that money, that'd be wicked. But this guy's just lazy. He just doesn't care. He's just taking it. He goes, ah, put that in the ground. And the master essentially turns around and he goes, why didn't you even just put it in the bank? Why didn't you just do something with what I've given you? And so the master sees it as wicked. And I guess for me, as, as I've read this and I, I've studied it over and over, I keep coming back to this sense that, that for us, whenever we come to follow Jesus, it, it's not just about getting back to neutral. I, I think for some of us, we have this misshapen view that becoming a Christian becomes about managing the sin in your life, about getting back to zero. And yet it's never about that. It's not about just giving back to the master what the master has given us. It's about taking what the master has given and going and creating and generating and being part of bringing the kingdom of God into our space and time that we exist in. And that is a phenomenal, phenomenal thing. And as we do that, we see hope. That's what we see. We see hope start to be birthed in our towns, in our communities, in our countries, in the world. And I guess for us in, in Stand By Me, as I've spent time thinking back, it's just under, just coming up to a year since I started in Stand By Me, as I've spent a year thinking back over what's happened, I've looked at the things that we've gone, God, you've entrusted us with this, and we want to invest it. We want to take the risk. We want to step out because we want to see your kingdom come. And so I want to share with you a few stories this morning. 
I want to talk to you, take you back to 1995, right back to about six months after Stand By Me began, and a little boy by the name of Wilton. Wilton lives in the Dominican Republic. This is him here. And we first met Wilton. He was sitting on a wall outside a school. And when I say a school, I mean a chicken shed. It was literally an old chicken shed. This is what it was. And the chickens had been cleared out, and it had been turned into a classroom for 60 kids. Ramon had set up this school with his wife because he'd seen the need of the kids in his community. And he thought, I'm going to do something. I'm going to take what's in my hand and I'm going to do something with it. And so he started a school. And Wilton's sitting on the wall outside the school every single day, watching kids going in, watching kids coming out, watching kids going in, watching kids going out. And every once in a while, Wilton will ask, can I have a piece of bread? Could, could you give me a wee bit of milk? And so David, our director, he, he started chatting with Wilton and he started to find out a little bit more about this kid, this kid whose parents had left him with the grandparents and they'd disappeared and he was struggling to get by. He was nicknamed locally as Scar because he just kind of burned from an electricity cable across his chest. And he was just this kind of outcast little boy sitting on a wall watching everybody else, 60 kids. And so David said, he said, look, what can we do? This kid has so much potential. This kid has so much desire. He's here every morning before everybody else. How on earth can we get this kid into school? And Ramon turned around and he said, David, here's the problem. He is literally the 100th kid on the waiting list to join this school. There are 99 other kids in the community whose situations are just as bad, if not worse than his. He is literally child number 100. And so in Stand By Me, I guess, in six months in, we did the thing that we've tried to do time and time again. We came up with a ridiculous plan. We prayed about it, and we said, God, we're going to do it. We really hope you're part of it. <laughs> and so we started to build a school. And so we built this school. It's the Eva Russell School in the Dominican Republic. And it was built in 1996. And every year, two classrooms were added to the school for the next five years. Wilton got signed up. I'll be honest. We'll not cloud the story too much. Wilton was a wee rip when he joined school, so he was. He gave his teachers the absolute runaround, and he tortured them and everything else, but he had this little glimmer of hope. And so as he grew and as we got to know him more and more, we got to know his story, we got to know his potential, we were able to help meet his needs. But we found out that this was this little kid who wanted to be a doctor. That was his dream. Every single kid on the planet has dreams, and Wilton's dream was... I want to be a doctor, sitting on a wall outside a chicken shed watching 60 kids go in and out every day going, I want to be a doctor. Hundreds on a waiting list. Two months ago, I got this photograph emailed to me that I still struggle to believe. This guy in the middle is called Wilton. He's a surgeon. <laughs> this is him qualifying as a surgeon. He is now literally a kid saving people's lives in the Dominican Republic. And when I look at that, I go, wow, God, we invested so little, and yet you multiplied so much. It just blows my mind. Let me take you on a slightly different journey. In January, uh, I spent some time in Myanmar, what was formerly known as Burma. And one of the areas that really touched my heart the most was this place called Shan State. Shan State is about the size and population of Ireland, but there's probably estimates range between 1% and 5% of the people that live there are Christians. 
And we know from our Bible college that we partner with that there's so many difficulties, there's so much suffering, there's so much pain and, and heartache and kids who just live with absolutely nothing, no families, no resource, no care, nothing, that we started to, to build a children's home. And so when, with that, I headed out in January and I went and visited a guy called James. James and Esther moved from the far side of the country with their little son, who was probably about four months old at the time, called Daniel. And they moved from one side of the country to the other, away from family and friends to this region that's fairly hostile towards Christians. And they moved there because they felt that that's what God was entrusting them with that that's what they've got to use. And so they moved all the way across, and this became home, this little bamboo hut. They moved in, it was literally one room. Whenever I got into it, I noticed straight away that there was cling film all over the walls. I was like, James, what's the cling film on the walls for? And like any man, he just turned around and looked at me with the biggest pride in the world, and he went, that'll keep the wind out. <laughs> Okay, and so they're living in this home with their kid, and very quickly, they're starting to get out into the community. They're getting to know their neighbors. They're getting to share, and, and I asked them, I was like, look, what's it like to go and, and share the hope of Jesus with people here? And I guess in some ways, it's very similar to Northern Ireland because he said, I can't go into someone else's home and start to talk to them about what I believe. He's like, socially, that's just completely unacceptable. He's like, but what I can do is I can make friends with people, and I can invite them into my home, this tiny little bamboo hut, it's like, I can make them dinner and I can tell them everything about what I believe. And so he started up a little kids club and he's been educating kids and he's gone out and he's already identified four kids, two twin brothers, Isaac and Moses, um, who were living just in desperate, desperate situations and he brought them in. But as we were there, this bamboo hut was built because this is a building site. In January, I went, and I'm going to be honest, bar a concrete wall around it and a bamboo hut and a wee artesian well, there wasn't much there. But again, just a couple of months ago, got an email through, and this is what's currently on the site, the first of two children's homes, the first of two buildings that will provide safety and sanctuary for kids who need it most. For those who are most vulnerable, for those who've been abandoned, they'll have a space that they can call their own. They'll have parents that'll look after and care for them and show them Jesus. And that blows me away. About four months after I got back, uh, we heard a story about a little girl called Naomi over in the far side of Burma. I'd visited uh, our work up in Tamu. And we have a school there and we have a family home there as well. And the kids were all getting ready to leave school. They were heading out the gate. Uh, the caretaker had gone to open it. And whenever he went to open the gate, he could hear the sound of a baby crying. And he sort of looked up and down the street. And in Burma at that time of the night, streets aren't particularly well lit. Uh, and there's not often kids out that late at night. And so he hears this and he looks up and down, up and down the street, and then eventually he notices just beside the gatepost, just under a little fruit tree, he sees this little bundle of blankets, and he realizes that's the noise. And so he, he picks them up, he opens up the blankets, and he discovers that it's a baby. So he does what every bloke does. He goes, a baby, <laughs> and runs inside to find a woman, because <laughs> he's just like, no idea what to do. I'm completely out of my depth. And this is who he found, Naomi. And... Uh, as he started to unwrap these blankets and as he started to try and figure out what on earth is going on here, they discovered this little baby girl and all she had was the blankets that she was wrapped in and this piece of paper, the 28th of May, 2016. A little bit of writing scribbled on the back of it. That was it. We figured out that if that was her date of birth, nine days old, nine days old, left alone, abandoned, outside of school. 
And you know what? You know what I love in the midst of that is that while that may have been a little girl and we don't know what the reason was for why she was left there, the thing that she found that day was that she found a family because these are the kids um, who've been orphaned, who've been abandoned, who've been moved in to that home. And they're the ones that took her in to their hearts. They're the ones that brought her in and made her part of the family. And so she's a little girl now who will know for the next 20 odd years. She might be the next Wilton. She might grow up to be a surgeon. She might grow up to be a teacher. You know what? It doesn't really matter. As long as she grows up to know that she's loved and loved by Jesus. That's the most important thing. Burma, Myanmar is a phenomenal, phenomenal country. And then this summer, uh, I spent a little bit of time in Ethiopia. I visited uh, our projects in Bokaji and in Dembodolo. Church sponsored four kids in, in Bokaji and are super, super behind the school in Dembodolo, making massive, massive impact there. And every time you travel to Ethiopia, Ethiopian airlines are phenomenal. EasyJet Ryanair could learn a lot from Ethiopian airlines. Two 23-kilo bags as standard. That is phenomenal. Now, I'm not going to lie. I put all the stuff that I needed for two weeks in Ethiopia in, and I think I tipped about six kilos. So I did three pairs of pants, two pairs of socks, one pair of Canterbury's, and a couple of t-shirts. You know, you blend in. And so I started to fill up my suitcase, and I realized I've got all this space. I never am going to need 46 kilos. It's not like Karis is coming. If Karis was coming, we'd have needed extra bags. But 46 kilos, right, what are we going to do? So I sent an email off to our guys in Ethiopia. I said, Burhanu, what do you need me to bring? And instantly, you're going to Ethiopia. So you're going to do the superhero stuff. It's going to be water filters. It's going to be malaria nets. It's going to be medication. And then I get this email back, and he goes, yep. If you could bring waterproof coats and underpants. And I think to myself, waterproof coats and underpants. So, so that's what I did. We got some waterproof coats. We bought them from Decathlon. We took them down, and we gave out 48 waterproof coats, two classes in Dembodolo, completely protected from the rain. As I was chatting to Belli whenever I was out there, he said, you know, on a really wet day, on a really miserable day in the rainy season, he was like, we'll have half the school won't turn up because it's just so torrential. He says, the other half who do turn up are so exhausted, they're so tired, they're so soaked to the skin that they don't even concentrate. He's like, these change everything. I thought, wow, that's awesome. And then there were the pants. 267 pairs split across two suitcases. It's the weirdest prayer I've ever uttered going through customs, but I really didn't want to have to open those suitcases. Would you believe me if they're mine? <laughs> and so we took these pants and we took them out. And you know what? I thought, what a ridiculous thing to put in a suitcase. And then the more and more I thought about it, and the more and more I talked to our guys in Ethiopia, the more and more I realized, this is dignity. That's what this is. This is dignity and a little bit of comfort. And you know what? Strangely, this is a luxury. I stood in front of the whole of the school that were there, and I said, today, everybody's getting a pair of pants. And if you did that in Northern Ireland, people would be like, hmm. That's a bit gross. The second hand or the new? Or the <laughs> but in, in Dembodolo, as I said, look, guys, everyone's getting a pair of pants. Collectively, everyone goes, yeah. A five. Come on. Hugs your pants. Wonderful. And this little kid was the kid who I absolutely loved the most. He's called Abdi. And Abdi, after going in and going rummaging through, size six to seven boys, what will I get? He came out and he just turned around and he looked at me and he went, Johnny. Spider-Man! 
and I was like, phenomenal, what an awesome thing. And you know what? Sometimes I think that we make change in the world, this massive thing, and we get really intimidated by it because we think it's got to be, it's got to be a water filler, it's got to be a well, or it's got to be malaria vaccinations. It can be as simple as a waterproof coat and a pair of Spider-Man underpants. That's the truth of it. Um, this is a little girl called Jelani. We spent a fair bit of time visiting some of our kids' homes. Uh, Jelani lives here in this home with her mum and with the rest of her family. From the front of the house, it looks like any other house, but as you go round the back, you start to realize that this is a home that is in real disrepair. And so we spent most of our days, most of the afternoons, we went out and we would chat to families. We would hear their story. We would hear their hopes, their dreams, their heartache, their woes, and we'd get to spend time with them. And Jelani's mum sat and she shared with us about how nine years ago she became a Christian. She'd been a Muslim before that. She became a Christian. She'd started going to church. And then she started to talk about the real burden in her life. The real burden in her life was this. She couldn't afford to pay the rent on her house. That's why it was in such a state. And so we started to ask a few questions. We were like, how much rent do you owe? Like, how long? It was a couple of weeks, months, six months? 11 years. Like, 11 years. House owned by the government, so they're happy to let the, the rent build up and, and they'll hopefully call it back in at some stage. And we sat and we listened. She said, look, it was fine. It was, it was five burr a month. Now, to give you an idea, there's about 30 burr to the pound. It was five burr a month whenever I started living here. But very quickly, about six months in, I couldn't keep up. And for about nine years, it's been that. But for the last two years, it's been 26 burr a month. And so we asked her, like, well, what do you owe? What's your debt? And she told us, somewhere in around a thousand, thousand burr, 30 quid, 30 pounds, 11 years worth of burden, 30 pounds. So we did what anyone would do, reached into our pockets, lifted out 30 pounds and said, you're free, you're free. That's not your burden anymore. And we were able to go one better. We said, actually, here's a little bit more, fix the roof because we don't want water coming in on top of you and your family. Fix the walls because we don't want the water pouring in through there either. All for about 50 quid. We take something so small and yet God multiplies that to make a massive, massive impact in the lives of others. I'm going to show you a little video if we, uh, if we have the power of video. This is a little girl uh, called Natanyal or, or Natty for short. And she is one of the kids from our school in Bokaji. She is one of those kids who is just an unbelievable wealth of talent. I'll let her story speak for itself.
loved as I got to sit and, uh, and chat with Natty. Uh, to hear a little bit of, of her hopes and her dreams, it's a thing that I come back to time and time again, is what do you want to become? What's the future look like for you? And here's this kid who's lost both of her parents, but who wants to become a doctor who wants to make a massive, massive impact, who has a wealth of talent and ability. Very few of her kids jump a grade. She's going grade two to grade four this year, an absolute superstar. And I love that because it's, it's not the picture of Africa that we're maybe used to 80 years ago or 40 years ago or 20 years ago of they really need our help. They have so much incredible potential and verve for life and talent and ability. And simply all we get to do is draw alongside and go, here's a little bit of what God has given to us. And we want to share that with you so that your future can look completely different. And so for us this morning, um, I guess the invitation is to be part of it is to, to be part of, of what is happening um, in whatever way that looks like. First and foremost, to pray um, for our kids. They're all starting back to school, 480 of them in Bokaji and 300 of them in Dembadolo with a few of them in waterproof coats and Spider-Man underpants. And it's a chance to pray for those kids and that they will know God's love, that God will continue to transform them and their situation and their circumstance. Um, but as well, to actually be part of it. In, uh, in April time, a few of us are going to hop onto an airplane in Dublin. We're going to make a short seven and a half hour flight to Addis Ababa. Then we're going to drive for a few hours down to Bokaji. And we're going to spend just over uh, seven or eight days in Bokaji. Just getting alongside these kids, encouraging them, building them up, resourcing them, taking waterproof coats for them, all those sorts of things. But most importantly, and I guess most valuably for me, going and simply spending time to hear their stories to hear their hopes, to hear their dreams, to hear their, their anguish and their heartache, and in the midst of that, to bring Jesus into that situation. In uh, 13th of September, Tuesday night, uh, we're gonna have a little meeting down in the venue. Yeah, wonderful. And uh, if you're interested in any way on being part of that team, of coming along and having a little bit of that experience, then by all means, do come along. By coming along, it doesn't mean that your passport is stamped and your visa is approved and you're ready to go, but come and, and find out more. Come and ask questions. Come, come and be part of it. As we finish, I wanna finish with this. There's one thing that really bothers me in the parable of the talents. And that's this, it's what happens to the leftover talent, right? Because there's five given to one, there's two given to another, and then there's one, and the master takes it off. And let me read it for you again. Verse 28 says, the master speaking says, so take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. I don't know about you, but for me, I go, no, 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 no. Listen, hang on, whoa, give it to the one who has four. Make it a wee bit more even. It's the inner communist in me. I'm like, balance the books a little bit. Make it, make it fair. And yet here's the thing. God invests in humanity. And as we step out and as we take what we've been given and we take that talent of time and resource and energy and love and all that, and as we step out and we pour that in, God pours more and more into us. That's the amazing truth of what it is. Don't expect to, to be able to tell your own stories of the world changing if you're like the servant who just takes it, digs a little hole and pats it down with his foot. But if you go and if you love unconditionally and if you give generously and you, you give out of your abundance and you go and you share who you are and what you've got with other people, then more and more and more you'll see God continuing to invest and pouring in to that and you'll have your stories of hope to tell. They'll be in Carrickfergus, they'll be in Belfast, they'll be in Bokaji, they'll be in Burma, they'll be beyond that. And that's the awesome thing that lies ahead of us all this year. Let's pray.
God, we thank you so much that you know us. God, you know each and every single one of us here. You know each and every kid who goes to school in Dembadolo. You know each of the kids that we sponsor through church in Bocchetti. God, you know us. You love us. You care for us. And you've equipped us. God, help us at the start of this new term to break out of our northern Irishness. God, help us to recognize that you've created us to generate good given us abilities and talents and resources to go and do that. And God, help us to take the risk. Help us to be the people who step out of our comfort zone a little bit, to go and to invest in the lives of others, to go and invest in the kingdom, to go and see your kingdom being built here in our world. God, we thank you so much for how you're at work all around the world. God, we thank you for the stories of hope that we get to see. God, of people liberated from debt, of kids abandoned, finding a family, of kids like Natty, who's had so much heartache and suffering, having such a, a bright and hopeful future. God, we thank you that in all of this, it's not about us. It's not about pride, but God, we've been created for your name and for your glory. And God, as we step out, we simply get to show your faithfulness. So God, this year, would you use us? God, as we give generously of what you've given to us, God, would you multiply? Would you use it in ways that we could never ask, think, or imagine? God, would lives be transformed here in Northern Ireland and, and right around the world because of the generosity of people in this room? God, help us to realize that you invest in us. And so likewise, we invest in others. God, we simply, simply pray your kingdom come. Your will be done. In Jesus' name.